there. You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast, recorded live at Collective Church in Roanoke, Texas, with co-lead pastors Courtney Clark and Megan Lawton. Enjoy the sermon. It's good to be with you all. I do, I do. I feel really heavy for our, our, um, our brothers and sisters, our fellow humans who are in Ukraine, and I know they're not the only ones who are suffering, but... Um, just a, a frightening time, like, you know, the, the reality of the unpredictability and lack of control. And um, what, what I'm reminded of is the upside down nature of the kingdom of God, how, how peace is um, very different from domination and how being in control is very different than surrender and what it means to love instead of forcibly take over. Um, I think it, it's incredible how much we say is done out of um, how brave we are, but really we're very scared of other people or have, having their own independence or autonomy. And um, it's amazing how much fear drives violence in our world. So pray with me. Um, Father, we, we do ask that you would make your presence known to the people in Ukraine, that they would experience your nearness right now. Show us what it means to be in solidarity with those who are suffering. We do ask for comfort and for peace, and despite what people are experiencing, that they will find joy, find you, and know love, even in the midst of their fear. We ask that our world would not be driven by power, but that we would understand the self-sacrificing love with which you have redeemed us and made a way for all people to know you and freedom through you, Jesus. Tune our hearts to your voice. Allow our ears to hear you, Spirit, as you minister to us collectively and individually. Teach us to trust, and we ask all of this, Jesus, in your name, believing that it will be done. Amen. That's, that's kind of what drives us to Luke 9, is the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. And I think some of us understand that things are different with Jesus and uh, than they are in our world. You know, there's, at this point in time, the Roman Empire kind of collecting all these different, you know, almost kind of like trophies of all these nations and, and people. And, um, and it's all about ruling over and that Caesar is God and um, that it, it really is amazing how the expression of authority over, the power over, means that somebody else is going to be oppressed and lose their own autonomy or power, you know. And, um, and that's why I think it's so difficult for the chosen people of God, when Jesus, the Messiah, does not look at all like what they expect, right? I mean, so it's easy for us who kind of have like the uh, Sparks notes and we know how the story ends, that Jesus ends up defeating death and goes, descends into hell and um, is victorious and defeats death and Satan and is able to um, bring us into full 
access with God without a mediator, Jesus himself being the mediator. Um, we know that part of it, but can you imagine if you're really experiencing that kind of oppression and you're wanting then Jesus to come in and slaughter the enemy and make it to where you're experiencing that real freedom, and instead Jesus just keeps talking about how he's going to suffer and die on a cross, and you're like, is there, is there anyone else maybe who <laughs> can give us a different narrative? Because I read this and think, well, don't they understand? And then I realize I don't either. I think there's always holes in our understanding of who God is. And at any point in time that I think I have a good hold on it, that's when I realize I am just like the disciples who might misunderstand. And right as Jesus is predicting his own death and saying things are not going to be the way that you think they are, there's still going to be the redemption of humanity and the inbreaking of the kingdom of God and eternal life for all who come. And yet the disciples then say, so when you're talking about the eternal life, like, so which one of us is going to be on your right and which one's going to be on your left? And he's like, remember the death part. Let's, you know, we're focusing on the fact that there's going to be suffering on this path. And so there's always the, I kind of get it and I kind of don't, right? The, I believe, help my unbelief. And, and that's where we live. It always frustrates me when someone says, okay, well, if there's faith, then there's an absence of fear. I don't, I don't know. I feel like things are not that black and white. Things are not like this is this and this is over here. But I'm a, a weird mix of it. It depends on not just the day, but the hour in the day, how I'm feeling. I love, but I also really struggle to love. You know, I believe, and there's times where trusting is a very difficult act of discipline. So the disciples then are, are at this point where they're trying to understand. They've heard Jesus speak. They know that there is truth and life in the words of Jesus. They even know to some extent that Jesus is from God. And so right before our text today in Luke 9, or uh, part of that, that Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Because Herod has started to hear, and he's getting really freaked out because what did Herod do? He arrested John the Baptist and had him beheaded. Okay, as a weird gift to his wife, you know, but <laughs> I know. So what do you want for V-Day? Well, <laughs> that's upsetting. Um, but anyway, so he says, you know, who, who do you say that I am? And they kind of go through the list. Well, some people say that you're John the Baptist, who's come back. Others say that you're Elijah or that one of the prophets has risen again. He says, but who do you say? And Peter says, you're Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And so then that understanding is going to continue to be challenged for Peter. What do we know about Peter as it comes to the crucifixion of Jesus? Anybody have an idea? He's, yeah, he says, I'm never going to deny you. Everybody else might leave, but I'm not. And he's even so zealous that when the Pharisees, when the religious leaders come to arrest Jesus, the soldiers come, he cuts off the ear of the priest's servant. And Jesus is like, that's not how we're going to do this. That's not how this game is played. But they're still thinking power and violence. They're still thinking that triumph looks like something with a sword, right? Which is maybe why we can understand the fear that our, our um, fellow humans are experiencing in Ukraine. That's not ever going to be the way of love and peace, right? So Jesus puts the ear back on the servant and says, this is what I have to do. I've been telling you over and over and over and over that I have to be 
crucified and raised. That's how this is all going to play out. And yet it's still difficult for them to understand. We would think that once they heard the message, they're like, okay, we get it. But being the Christ, being the Messiah, being the one who brings about this salvific, redemptive work is not going to look like they thought it was. And it's not going to look how we think it is. Even having the end of the story, there's always going to be parts of our understanding that have holes in it, right? Peter swears to Jesus he's not going to deny him. And Jesus says, well, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And that happens. And I don't think it's a condemnation as much as a reality. You're still becoming the person that you are. You are a follower of Jesus, and you're still figuring out what that looks like. So today in our church calendar is Transfiguration Sunday. And it's the last Sunday before Lent. And as you know, I'm trying to look at the church calendar because I didn't grow up with an understanding of, okay, now we have Epiphany and Pentecost and Lent and Easter and um, an Advent. You know, I just knew like Easter Bunny time and like Santa and Manger time. <laughs> and so the in-between stuff, I'm, I'm learning. And so because of that, I, I like to, you know, have you guys on the journey with me. Transfiguration Sunday, last Sunday before Lent. Lent marks our journey to the cross. That our, our time in Advent is so we don't rush to the major. Our time in Lent is so we don't really run too fast to the empty tomb. But to understand the journey that Jesus is on. Because even if there's a point in time where we make a decision to follow Jesus or some of the language you use, um, ask Jesus to come into our heart, born again, become a Christian, baptized, whatever that, that point is that we mark it, it's actually this long journey to becoming. We develop spiritually the same we do physiologically, the same we do emotionally and mentally. We're constantly growing, you know? It's not normal for us to read the Bible the same way we did in sixth grade or last year, okay? So we're always growing, always. Learning. So this whole idea of a journey and, um, and understanding that our, our knowledge of God continues to shift and grow and expand shouldn't be a threat, but should be a part of our understanding of what it is to follow Jesus. That's what happens when your relationship with a living being, right? It's not stagnant. It's not something to memorize. It's a person to know. That means change is inevitable in our understanding. So Transfiguration Sunday, right before Lent, means that we are seeing Jesus as Jesus is. Jesus is being transformed, and we are having a, an understanding more that Jesus came to earth not just to make a way for us to connect with God, but to show us who God is. We see God through Jesus. As Jesus prioritizes the poor, as Jesus heals, as Jesus cares less about honoring the Sabbath than giving sight, okay? Then we see God's heart. We see how God is. This person of, of the Torah um, who spoke voice from mountain is now speaking through Jesus, face-to-face, -face, okay? So I'm going to read our text from Luke 9. <coughs> so this is starting in verse 28. Some eight days after Jesus had talked about how he was going to die and be resurrected, he took along Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed became different, and his clothes became gleaming, radiant, dazzling, some translations say. 
And behold, two men were with him, and they were Moses and Elijah. So Jesus' appearance is changing, and then all of a sudden Moses and Elijah appear in glory, and they're speaking of Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and James and John had been overcome with sleep, but they were fully awake, and they saw Jesus' glory and two men standing with him. And as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. We should make three tabernacles, one for you, Elijah, and Moses, not realizing what he was saying. And while he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one what they had seen. On the next day, when they came down the mountain, a large crowd met him. Okay, so Jesus has been transfigured in front of James, Peter, and John. And I love, <laughs> I love the things that are included in, in the text. You know, when people say, oh, the Bible has been shifted to become, you know, something that makes everybody look good. I'm like, I don't know what you're reading, but some people look real dumb or... Um, <laughs> Like, you know, kind of bless your heart. But I love that, you know, Peter is, is kind of overwhelmed by what's happening. And he's the one that we would expect to talk out of turn. I mean, I feel like it's like me. Whenever there's something I don't know, I'm like, I sh should say something random. Something needs to be said. It's awkward that there's silence. Even though the glory of God has descended on the mountain. And he's like, we should make houses. And I mean... I mean, in a way, you know, can you imagine him walking down? He's like, we should make houses? Like, what was I thinking there? You know? Couldn't have said something more spiritual? I mean, there's got to be something I can quote at this point. There's got to be some line from Deuteronomy I can just, you know, pull out. Um, and, and it made sense because, in a sense, it's a reference to worship, to tabernacle, you know. But just the fact that there in this place is happening something that hasn't happened before super holy, very other, and they're getting to witness it. And it's clear over and over that the glory of God. So glory is one of those words that uh, I, I don't like to touch because I don't get it, and I think that's okay. Whenever it comes to the person of God, there's always the familiar and then the other. I have um, a friend who is 70 and just came into connection with God. And, you know, we'll just say, I'm very terrified of God, but I'm okay with Jesus. And what's funny is he'll have people who are like, hey, don't be scared of God. But I think there's a reverence where he's like, but this God can create and also make lightning come. And so I'm going to have some respect for that. And so there's the familiarity, but also the fact that God is other. The eminence, the nearness, but also the transcendence, right? All of that in one. So the, this glory must have been overwhelming because they're used to the, the guy of Jesus just being with them. And all of a sudden, the reality of who Jesus really is, that this is not just a guy who happens to do the same things, eat the same things, and talk and walk with them, but this is God. <sighs> I mean, you know it. You know Jesus is God, but then all of a sudden you see it and you're like, whoa, we're able to identify as Jews Moses and Elijah, and they're here with God in the, you know, with the glory of God here. And then God speaks. The last time that God spoke like this was when Jesus was baptized at the start of his ministry. So what does God say at this point? This is my son, my chosen one. 
Listen to him. Listen to him. Which is an important thing for what's going to happen for the rest of Jesus' life on earth. Listen to him. As he talks about the road of suffering up to the cross. Listen to him as he reframes what life is about and what it means to love people. Listen to him as you re-understand who God is and what it means that God's kingdom has come now. So the veil is lifted and the reality of Jesus as God has never been more clear. Whatever thin veil there was is, is no more. The kingdom of God is here. There's no more denying it. This is reality. And Jesus, at this point, the reason that this is so critical for us to understand is it's when Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. And what does Jerusalem represent? The crucifixion of Jesus. It's at this point when it's most clear that Jesus is God and that he is chosen and that we are to listen, that Jesus sets his face toward death. Isn't that crazy? He sets his face toward Jerusalem. And he comes down the mountain. The text that I put, <laughs> that um, Megan put on, on the uh, bulletin, is, is the text of Exodus, where Moses has been with God on Mount Sinai and is receiving the law and... Moses has been meeting with God and God's glory. And it's so overwhelming that Moses said, will you show me your glory? And God's like, well, that would kill you. So what I'll do is put you in a rock, hide you in this rock, and then I'll pass by and you can see my back, but you can't see my face because you would explode. I don't know what the Hebrew is, for, but anyway, <laughs> you would die is basically what would happen. Okay, And so instead, you know, he gets to see the back of God, and when he comes down the mountain with the commandments, he doesn't know that his face is lit up, okay? And so he comes down, and he's like, well, just saw the glory of God, you know, or at least part of it that wouldn't kill me. And everyone's like, hold the phone. Your face is shiny to some point where it's like you ate like 12,000 glow sticks, and we don't know what's happening. And they were so afraid, and they were like, don't even come near us because the glory of God was reflected in Moses' face. Even though he didn't even see the full glory, the fact that there was proximity meant that Moses was changed. There is something about being around God that changes. Even though Moses wasn't aware that he had changed, he was so different. And everybody was like, you don't, you don't know this. And, and it must be because he was with God. It must be because he was talking with God. And it wasn't even seeing the fullness. And so now the disciples as well go up to the mountain, meet with God in the person of Jesus, unveiled, get to see a little bit of the dazzling reality of the divine and come down the mountain. They've seen part of it. They still have holes in their understanding. But it shapes then the rest of this journey, right? Why would Peter say that? You know, because Peter hadn't, you know, hadn't, hadn't walked with, with Jesus the rest of the way because Peter wasn't dead yet, okay? Same way with us. Why do I say some of the things I do about God? I might think tomorrow, wow, that was really dumb, what I said yesterday. But it's where I am today. It's my understanding. And I'm, I'm not criticizing the very different beliefs that I had, you know, 10 years ago because that was my understanding then. 
So it's not about how, how silly it was that Peter would say that as much as we're still on a journey, right? We're still walking this path, which to me is more the point is that I know who it is that I'm walking with instead of that I figured out exactly what that means. I'm still on the journey. When God says, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him, it's an active listening. Because it wasn't that Jesus was talking in the moment. It's that Jesus was going to continue talking, right? It's that Jesus was going to speak with his life and with his actions. Jesus had just said before these events, I am going to suffer and anybody who wants to follow me is going to have to take up his cross daily and deny himself. Because what does it benefit someone to gain the world and lose his soul? And so the disciples are like, yeah, that's right. And yet it had to sink to a different level, right? We understand that the road to this, to this freedom, to this connection with God is not sunshine and roses. And yet whenever there's a... A, a bump, some hardships, a setback, we're kind of like, where did this come from? We know that God doesn't just give blessings to people who don't make mistakes. And yet, whenever something's going wrong, we're like, what are we doing wrong? You know? We have those moments where we think about the old way of thinking about things. The disciples come upon, in, in John 9, a man who was born blind, and they automatically look to Jesus and say, so who messed up, this man or his parents? They're still learning. They're still getting into, and Jesus says, neither. That's, that's not what it's about. But there's always an old way of thinking. And it doesn't even have to be something that, that you were taught in some Sunday school class. It could be just a cultural way of good things happen to those to who, who help themselves. Or, you know, some kind of... Uh, you know, like what goes around comes around. Karma, whatever it is, you know, we're all shaped by, we're shaped by memes, guys. I mean, we're at that <laughs> point, okay? So, so I would say that the disciples still had things that they were learning, but they also had things they had to unlearn, right? So the, <laughs> as, as they're coming down, <clears throat> When they came down the mountain and the large crowd was there, a man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy. And a spirit, or a demon, seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into convulsions. He's foaming at the mouth, and only with difficulty does it leave him, but it mauls him as it leaves him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. And while he was still approaching, the demon slammed him into the ground and threw him into convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. So in this text, we see kind of one of the harsher words of Jesus. Usually, you know, there's some times where it's like, oh, that was really loving and what we would expect. And then other times we're like, whoa, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, Jesus, what's happening? And this whole, you are an unbelieving and perverted generation. How long shall I be with you and put up with you? 
Because right before this, Jesus had sent out the disciples in power of healing, and they were going around and, and healing and bringing life and light and showing the kingdom of God, and all of a sudden, the disciples aren't able to heal this boy. It's another picture, then, of the understanding, but also the misunderstanding. I believe, help my unbelief, that there's still things that they're learning, that the power of God doesn't always look like they want it. So as we, we've healed, we've seen people healed in the name of Jesus, and yet we can't control it, and it doesn't always work how we want it to work, right? The thing that can be so frustrating about connection with, with God, about relationship with Jesus, is it's just never going to be a formula. My story is not going to look like yours. Brian and I have different understandings of how to connect with God. Proximity with God looks different for you than it does for me. So there's the constant, that closeness with God, that listening, that seeing, listen to him, changes us. That meeting with God, as Moses did, changes us. There's things that are constant, but it's not in a way that we can control or predict. It's not a to-do list. The reason that we pray is because it puts us in a position with God that we need in order to be different. Our transformation, our transfiguration, and Paul references it in 2 Corinthians 13, or 3, that, that we are being changed into the likeness of Jesus degree by degree by degree. And it's not because I'm impatient, so I'm going to work on being patient. It's not I, I'm selfish, and so I'm going to learn, I'm going to practice giving away what I have. It is as I am with God, I am changed. Moses didn't know that his face was on fire. All he knew is that he had experienced the glory of God, and it was a result of him being in proximity with God that he was different. We become loving people not as we work hard at loving, but as we are with the God of love. We become people who can be a part of this healing work, not as when we try to formulaically understand healing, but as we follow and listen to God and where Jesus is working. It is being on this journey that allows us to embrace the reality of suffering. We want to take this concept of Jesus as Messiah and detach it from the reality of Jesus' journey to the cross. But we don't get to do that. And I don't believe that the point is suffering. I do think, though, that we can't have the crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and redemption without the suffering that Jesus experienced. I think avoiding it means we're also going to avoid intimacy with God, ultimately the freedom to which we've been called. But it's not about trying to suffer. It's about this journey that is not going to go how we want it to go. It doesn't mean that we are going to experience crucifixion in the same way Jesus did. It doesn't mean that taking up our cross means the same exact things as it does for people in other cultures, other places. But what it does mean is it's not going to be on our terms. So the transfiguration and then this journey to the cross and our journey and continued intimacy with God means that it's not on our terms. It's not going to always look like we want. And if we're holding on to our narrative of how it needs to look, we are going to miss the Jesus that is present to us. This is my son. Listen to him. 
not your old ideas of how it works, not your ideas of what it means to be someone who belongs to God, but listen to the one who speaks. Try to let go of old ideas, whether it's of how you are supposed to act or how your life is supposed to look at this point. We all have a narrative and we wanna hold on to it. This is how I wanted to be when I grew up. I didn't expect all the things that have happened in my life up to the age of 40 to look as they have, and here I am. And if I'm still married to this old narrative, I'm completely missing the opportunities that are now. So Jesus sets his face to what's ahead. Now all of this has happened whether it's the prophetic words of Isaiah or the things from Jesus in his baptism. And now he sets his face to Jerusalem, to what's ahead, and that's where we are. As we move forward, we may not know what it looks like. We may not know how it plays out. But what we know is that proximity to God changes us. Even if we don't know, we're changing. Do you ever have... Um, Someone who sees one of your kids, or maybe they haven't seen you in a while, and they're like, whoa, you're big. And you were just at the doctor, and she was like, um, your kid's kind of small for his or her age. Or, you know, you, you see someone sees your child, and they're like, wow, they've changed so much, and you haven't really noticed, you know? So I bought Elia some um, Chuck Taylors for, for Christmas, and I knew she was there. I was like, oh, she's probably like a, a size eight and a half by now. And then when I bought her those and she's like oh they don't fit so we went to the store and I was like let's try a nine and those were too small I was like let's try a nine and a half anyway she wears a ten <laughs> that's not even a size I don't think it is in the clearance that's actually nice it's like the clearance shoes for women um, but I was like how did this happen and I look at her feet and they look the same as they did six months ago when they were size eight Somehow change is happening. It's a natural part of our connection with God if we stay connected. It's not about how much I pray. It's, it's not about how much I read or gather. The reason I gather with you guys, the reason that I pray, the reason that we study scripture is not because it's an end in itself, but because that proximity is what changes us, right? But somehow change is happening because it's ultimately God who changes us, right? So... So the word here, when Jesus is talking with Elijah and Moses, and they were talking of Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And that word departure in Greek is exodus. So this crossing over, we think about, because, you know, I always like to talk about exodus. We think about the Israelites leaving Egypt, you know, and moving into that place of freedom. They're leaving slavery and the bondage of Egypt in order to go to a place that God has promised will be theirs, where they will experience um, connection with God and freedom. And so Jesus, in the same way, is making that exodus and says, come with me to leave this bondage and experience this free life. However, when the Israelites crossed over, it was, it was not like a day at the beach, okay? Crossing the Red Sea was not like picnic time. Um, there was a lot of unpredictability, and it was like, what's going to happen next? And there's walls of water. It looked nothing like they thought it was going to look. 
Plagues, not part of the plan, okay? And in the same way, in Jesus' journey, there's always, always the tendency to want to hold on to the way we think things should be, right? So thinking about your life now <coughs> and the different ways in which we've wanted things on our terms. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Jesus prays, God, if there is any way for this not to go as it's going to go, please, 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 please. You know, sweating drops of blood, right? I mean, we're talking a kind of anxiety and stress that I do not want this path to look like I think it's going to look. So it's not about pretending I'm okay with it, but at the same time, maybe having open hands and, and realizing that it's more about our connection with the living God than the way that it looks. Am I, am I more concerned about it on my terms than just being a person who listens and continues in this direction? Because that's what we're being asked to do. Participate in a journey. Yes, Jesus is the carpenter's son, but also the dazzling, like, can't understand that kind of holiness and divinity. The both and. And letting that God be the one we listen to and follow, right? This has been the Collective Church Podcast. We post episodes every week on Sundays. If you're interested in supporting our church, you can give at collectivechurch.net slash give. I hope you enjoyed listening. Thank you.